Thanks for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money. I'm your host, Tom, the Savings Captain, and I'm joined by my producer, Radish, the hardest working dog in podcasting. Hey, in this episode, we are going to cover some really important changes that are really going to impact retirement savings starting in 2024. So if you're interested in your money, which I think you are if you're listening to the Money Happy Hour, if you're serious about your retirement savings, which I know you are if you're listening to the Money Happy Hour, you're going to want to stick around to hear about 92 potential changes. I'm not going to cover all 92, but 11 or 12 of them that are going to be real impactful some things you really want to be aware of going into 2024. If you're new to the Money Happy Hour, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. We really appreciate your support. This podcast in the six months we've been doing it has just grown. I'm just amazed by the number of Listeners, the number of countries, the number of states around the U.S., people just coming back week after week, the positive comments that we're getting, the questions. It has just been such a pleasure to do this every week. So if you're new to the Money Happy Hour and if you've been listening for a while, hey, I just want to spend just a few seconds just reinforcing just, hey, what is the Money Happy Hour all about? And it's pretty straightforward. Once a week we're going to have a guest on and that guest is really going to help motivate us, help make us a little bit smarter about how we handle our own money. And then about once a week, there's going to be an episode like this. No guests. It's just me talking about a topic that I'm either passionate about might help you and help you make better money decisions going forward. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But the biggest way To help this podcast continue to grow and reach more people, please, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps helps this podcast reach so many more listeners. So you may remember over the last year or so, a few terms being thrown around. This is specifically United States-related, and I know there's a large amount of the audience that does listen in Canada, Europe. In other countries. I will let you know that this episode is going to be very U.S. specific, the changes that I'm going to be talking about, but don't tune out. Stay in, and here's why. Because I think some of the points that we're going to bring up, there are rules, there are regulations in your own country, in your homeland, that you might want to research, take a look at to see if there's changes. So, I did a quick I did a quick research for instance in Canada the CP the CPP um, I think in April or sometime in 2024 the contribution limits are changing in the UK uh, there's something called the triple lock I'm not an expert on UK pension and retirement laws but Uh, state pensions are increasing in 2024. So my point is, if you're not in the U.S., you're going to get benefit out of this because I can almost guarantee something we're going to talk about is going to spark and say, hey, I should look look into that in my own country. All right, so what's changed? So back in 2022, there was something called the Secure 2.0 Act. 
Um, that was signed into law very early in 2023. And a lot of those uh, points in the bill that were signed in 2023, they go into effect in the United States beginning in 2024. You should probably be aware of these because this could change how you think about your retirement savings. And I would say most of them, um, whenever I see a law being signed into effect, I always grab my wallet to say, how much is this going to cost me? What's the catch here? I don't really see a catch with a lot of them. I think most of these are investor and retirement say savings favorable. So these were put in place, signed into law in early 2023. It is called the Secure Act 2.0. Just around or before the pandemic, there was an actual, another act called the Secure Act, but this act went above and beyond and expanded coverage. So let's jump into them. So what is the Secure Act? It is... 92 different updates, um, generally to retirement savings and coverage. I am not going to go through every one of these. You probably don't need to go through every one of these either. Some of them get very granular and are, are small audience related, probably don't apply to you. But I'm going to cover 11, let's call it 12 of them. And I'm sure at least one or two of those you're going to walk away with at the end of this episode with, hey, I really have to rethink um, what I do in 2024. I want to look into this because this is, this is more available money to me for savings. So let's start jumping into them. To make this a little bit easier, what I am going to do, the Secure 2.0 Act has 92 items. They are in seven called seven different titles and each of them has a section number so what i'll do is when i cover an item i'll say hey this is section you know and then give the number then this way you can go back research it further and i'll also put this 19 page document government document in the show notes and i'm also going to put another link in there to a table that I found that American Century put that American Century is a, a pretty large asset manager, mutual active mutual fund managing company, and they have a table of about seven or eight things that are very investor related. So I've teased this to death. Let's start looking into this now. So the first thing that jumps out at me is section 107. This is the increase in age for required beginning date for mandatory distributions. Now, if you're 25 or 30, you don't have to worry about this. But if you're in your 60s or 70s, some of our older audience, the government forces you to take out money from an IRA. When you take money out from an IRA, it's called a required minimum distribution. You have to meet it every year. If you don't meet it, you face a penalty. But the catch is when you do take it out, let's say your required minimum distribution, your RMD is $20,000 for the year. Guess what? When you take that out, that gets added to your taxable income and you pay taxes on it. So the, the change that takes place here, some of it's went in place already. This year it was bumped up to age 73. Uh, and it's going to continue to increase out to age 75 over the next 10 years. So 
That's one small change that's coming up. Hey, the indexing IRA catch-up limit. So they call this Section 108. So the current law, the limit on IRA contributions generally goes up $500 to $1,000 per year. It's, it's called not indexed against inflation. In Section 108, beginning next year, it's going to start being indexed for inflation. So the, ta- the 2024 tables have already increased, uh, I believe, $1,000. So the way this effect would take place is going into next year's, really 2025's contribution. You'll start seeing it indexed to inflation, kind of like the way the government does uh, like Social Security benefits. It varies every year. So you'll want to keep a, a close eye on this one. Um, Section 109. Here's one more for the older saviors. Uh, So this is for people that have, that are age 60, 61, 62, 63. Section 109 has what's called the higher catch-up limit to apply to those 60 and above. So currently the limit on catch-up contributions is generally you can contribute $6,500 more every year to a retirement plan, like a 401k plan. This increased amounts are also going to be indexed for inflation, and that will begin in 20, uh, once we get into 2025. Okay, so now we finally get to, uh, I think, an important change to call out. If you're a younger retirement saver and you also have student loans and you're in the U.S., this is important. This is Section 110, and if you're younger, I would look at this section. I'd also do two things. I would research section 110 and then also research your retirement plan that's provided at work. So section 110, it's intended to to assist and help out employees that, you know, you might not be able to save in your retirement plan because guess what? You just had to start paying student loans. So if you found yourself in a position the last three years, you've had student loans, maybe you weren't paying on them because you didn't have to, and you deferred that extra money to your retirement plan, you know, fantastic. Well, just beginning this month or last month, you had to restart those student loan payments, and guess what? It may have caused you to cut back on your retirement savings. This section here could help you, and this is how. Section 110 allows you to receive matching contributions of the amount that you paid in the student loan. So there are limits to it, but if your your employer probably has something uh, th- there's different terms they, they call it. If you look at your benefits profile, I've been seeing this under more and more companies offering this. They're offering some sort of student loan debt repayment program. A lot of times this is what it is. So for instance, if you paid a $300 monthly payment and you were entitled to a $300 retirement savings match, you can have that match deferred to your retirement plan while still making a payment on your student loans and avoiding the worst thing, not being 
not having money added to your retirement plan during that period. So look into it, look, in, look into how it applies to your um, specific situation. All right, so we're going to jump ahead um, to a couple of other things that, are, that really have some broad impact for retirement savers. So Section 113, they call this the Small Immediate Financial Incentives for Contributing to a Plan. So typical government description, but what does that mean? This is pretty interesting. <laughs> it, I call this out because you might not, you might just want to be aware about it. Did you know? Well, think about this. It's flu shot season time again in, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. And I know a lot of retailers, places like CVS, I'll see a sign in front, hey, get a, get a $25 CVS gift card if you get your flu shot. That's kind of what this is. This is, this is a de minimis financial incentive. So it's a small dollar benefit to, in, to really entice people to contribute to a retirement savings plan. So in the plan, it says, the way I take this is, if you are currently not contributing to a retirement plan, you have one available at work, your employer now at open enrollment, or if you start a job, when you enroll in the 401k plan, they can offer you things like a low dollar gift card and they're doing this to boost employee participation in the workplace. I thought this was actually clever, especially from a government standpoint. It's almost uh, clever marketing, if you will. So essentially, the way I'd envision this, envision this is, hey, you sign up for your 401k plan, maybe you get a $50 Amazon gift card. That's awesome if that helps people actually start contributing to their retirement savings. That would be a fantastic end result. So what if you have money in your plan already and you have an emergency and you don't have emergency funds? You see so many things out there where 40% of people can't cover a $1,000 emergency. And in those instances, it creates a very negative cycle. To cover that $1,000 emergency, you generally have to do one of a couple things. Stop contributing to your retirement plan. Well, that hurts you in the long run. Borrow from your credit card. Well, that hurts you every month at 29% interest or whatever. Or even worse, take a loan out from your 401k, which comes out as taxable income. You got to repay it. Well, Section 115, it allows withdrawals for certain emergency expenses. So it says it provides an exception for emergency expenses, which are generally unforeseeable or immediate financial needs. For family emergency expenses, it's one distribution allowed each year up to $1,000. And you can pay it back without any type of penalty over a three-year period. So I think that provides a good safety net for people. You know, If you have $50,000 in your retirement plan and you have a $1,000 emergency, where's your next $1,000 coming from? It gives a good alternative. So going forward a little bit more, let's take a look at 
Start our 401k plans for employers with no retirement plans. This is Section 121. There's so many workers that currently are working. They don't have a retirement plan. Um, there's nothing workplace. There's nothing in place for them. This helps solve that a little bit. So this is Section 121. If you don't have a retirement plan in place at work, you really want to pay attention to this because starter 401k plans, and this also applies to 403b plans, which are offered mostly at nonprofits, smaller educational facilities, things like that. The, you can start contributing there, which will have a $6,000. It's not at the 401k level. In This is in place already. I believe the limit's been $6,000. And in 2023, at the end of this year, it goes up another $1,000. Section 125. This is another, I call this like another gap for people with, have a 401k plan at work, but they're a part-time worker. So think about an employer that doesn't want to hire a person full-time, but they want to put some money into retirement savings. This takes that, part-time stigma off the table where you can actually contribute to 401k. So most part-time workers currently have what's called the three-year rule. You have to be either working for a thousand hours in a year, which that's not going to happen if you're part-time because that's 40 hours a week. But there's a three-year rule. If you've worked for three years as the part-time employer, that's the old rule. The the plan gets reduced to two years. So if you've been a part-time worker for a period of time, don't have a 401k plan, again, look at your benefits. You might be eligible to start contributing. Section 126, this is probably my favorite because it hits me. This one's really going to benefit me personally or it's going to benefit my daughter. This is really cool. So a long time ago when I started in the business, I remember when 529 plans were created in the early 2000s or late 1990s. And one of the drawbacks of the 529 plans was, well, what if I put money in a 529 plan and my child doesn't go to college, get scholarships, I don't need the money? And I think very few people actually fell into that category. Folks, we have a trillion dollars in student loan debt, so that probably was not the thing to be worried about. But this section, section 126, know this section, know this section in and out. If you're contributing to a 529 plan for your children, or you have, this might benefit you. What it simply is, is any unused funds that you contributed to a 529 plan that you did not need for college, Guess what? Great news. You can take that money out and have that rolled over into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary. That would be the student, the person you were intending, the child you were intending to send to school. That's an awesome one. There's a couple limits, a couple things you really want to be, you want to look at in section 126. 
you can roll over up to $35,000 over the course of a lifetime. The other thing you have to look out for, the 529 must have been open for 15 years. And this is another feature. The student or the now adult could not, if they contribute to a Roth IRA, the amount they can roll over is going to be subtracted from what they've contributed to a Roth IRA. You contribute $5,000 to a Roth IRA. You can contribute, let's say, $6,500 per year to a Roth IRA. You'd only be able to roll over the difference. So there's a balancing act there. You probably want to look at that one a little more carefully. Section 127, these are emergency savings account linked to individual account plans. Another, another safety net, another trapeze for people that you know, have an unexpected emergency, they can take that money out. Um, this is going to be really helpful for lower income workers because when they sign up for benefits, start at a new employer, they can have money taken out of their paycheck automatically enrolled into an account where 3% of their earnings are put into almost like a savings account. And they would have access penalty-free to touch that money four times, up to four times a year. And that's section 127. So it may benefit you. It might not benefit you. Maybe you have a child, a friend, or something that um, this would be beneficial for that just needs that initial initial savings net. Um, the next few sections, they get really granular sections, 200s, 300s. Um, some of these are like if you're a, a private firefighter, there's new benefits there for you. So you might, I don't know your situation, you know your situation best. You might want to look into that and just comb through it because something might benefit you for this. Um, section 303, I thought this was pretty cool. So if you have unclaimed property or an unclaimed bank account, money that's in your name that you lost track of, the way that currently works is after a period of time, generally three or five years, if the, let's say, bank has lost track of you, you've moved on, you have a new bank now, they got to send that money to the state. That's called escheating it, escheating the property to the state. The Department of Labor is putting something in place, and this is going to take a year or two. I'm just calling this out because I thought it was pretty interesting. They're going to have a, a, they're calling it a retirement savings lost and found. And this lost and found, think about if you had a part-time job, if you worked very briefly at an employer, had a, maybe $1,000 contributed, got a better job and moved on, forgot about that 401k plan. The DOL is building a database that's going to track that, and they're going to find you, and you're going to get this money back. <laughs> I take that with a grain of salt because it's going to take at least a year, maybe two years before that becomes functional, operational, but it might just be something to keep an eye on. So those, I hope you have found this helpful. That's a list of the full, th of the full benefits, some of the changes that are, I think, most impactful and will be coming about in the next year and again 
look at the show notes. Spend some time, spend some time looking this over. You know, think about it. We're at such an unfair advantage when it comes with money. They don't teach us this stuff in school. We get marketed to by predatory lenders. Heck, you can go to Walmart. You can go to Amazon. And when you check out, there's people proactively wanting to lend you money. Buy now, pay later. See, that's proactive. They're proactively marketing that to you. But these are positive changes. No one's going to proactively market this to you. But that's what I try to do here is being your, being your captain. And what we try to do on the Money Happy Hour, it's all about making you smarter about your money. Well, folks, that ends another great episode of the Money Happy Hour. Thanks for joining and tuning in. And until next time, remember to keep every hour your money happy hour.